Tonight we're going to look at the lesson moral, but we're going to take a little bit of a sidetrack, if you will. First, let's start with scripture. This is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26. And I'm reading from the ESV version. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a flesh heart. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, you know the burdens on our hearts. You know the things we can't even speak of because there's, they're just so hard to face and it's easier when we don't even speak of them. But that doesn't mean they go away. You know what keeps us up at night. You know what the enemy taunts us with. You know what we're running from. But you also know what we're running to. And sadly, often that is not running to you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We invite you in. Sit with us. And for every tear that is shed in silence, I know that you collect every one because your heart aches for your children. God, tonight I ask that you take this, this lesson on moral. As we look at Paul, I pray that you speak to each one of us the message that each one of us individually needs to hear. God, help us apply it to our lives. Help us to walk it out. And help us to glorify you with every mountain you move out from in front of us. With every valley you lift us out of. God, may everything we do bring honor, glory, and praise to you for all of our days. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of your son. Amen. So I think the story of Paul is one of the most dramatic in scripture, but yet one of the most misunderstood and possibly one of the most misquoted. So before anybody starts yelling blasphemy and all this kind of stuff, let me explain. Saul, as he was first known, was a Pharisee. He was actually flawless in keeping the Jewish law. He first thought of Jesus as merely a man who was disrupting the status quo. He thought that since this Jesus man was not keeping the Jewish law according to the Torah, that he and his followers were an abomination to God. He thought they were disrespecting God and God's people. Saul was zealous in his pursuit of Jesus and Jesus' followers. Now, even though Jesus had long been gone, they still speak of Jesus as in he was there, modern day, side by side with you. And he used every instrument he could to imprison them and kill them. So let's dive a little deeper into Saul, Paul of ancient times. Now we know that Saul, Paul, was the author of one-fourth of the New Testament. Paul's writings are the earliest Christian writings that we have dated, and that's from 48 to 64. He is considered one of the most significant theologians of the history in the church. Paul played a significant role in the growth of the church in the first decades. 
He likely planted more churches than any Christian missionary in the first century. And his writing style is in the style of letters. Now, he would address certain situations, but everybody by the second century saw him as a hero because he expressed concerns straight from the heart. Some would even say he was the hero of the Reformation period. Saul, Paul, was thoroughly Jewish. Jewish in thought and in belief. He believed in God, the coming Messiah, the sin. Now, when I say coming Messiah, the Jewish people have several sections of how they dated their time. Pre-Messiah, the coming Messiah, and then the second coming of his return. He also believed in the spirit, forgiveness, creation, scripture. He never considered himself changing religions. Remember that. This is where I think the story of Saul, Paul, begins to be misquoted. Paul never called himself a Christian. He's still associated with Judaism. He had issues with people who did not follow the law of God. Those that had no circumcision, no food laws, did not observe the Sabbath. Let's go back a little further. He was born in Tarsus. That's a prominent Greek city. His family spoke Greek. He knew Greek customs and religions, probably educated in the Greek system. His father was a Roman citizen. He had Roman citizenship. This is important. That wasn't something you could just get. It had to be granted. And because his father had this, he had this. And he came from a very devout Jewish family. So at some point in his youth, they moved to Jerusalem. He learned Hebrew. He studied the Torah with rabbis. He became a Pharisee, and he was very prominent. But he was still very zealous for God and God's law. Now, we see that Saul, Paul, has roots inside and outside of Jerusalem. So there's a little hint. When you dive deeper, you realize that Saul is actually his Greek name. Hebrew is Paul. So he never changed names. So let me be the first to clarify again. Jesus did not rename Saul to Paul. Paul is Hebrew, and he was writing to the Jews inside Palestine, which is modern-day Israel. Very, very small group of Jewish people. When he would travel outside of those areas into the Greek Jewish areas and to the Gentiles, he was Saul, and he arrived with his citizenship his Roman citizenship. So this allowed him to maneuver back and forth what some at that time might consider enemy lines. But it also allowed him to walk straight in with authority and respect and to not be questioned. He was able to plant more churches because of this. Think about it like this. I've served jail ministry for close to 10 years. And when we would go in and we would meet people, first thing they would say is, I don't want none of your jail Jesus. Well, that's fine because I don't have jail Jesus. I have eternal Jesus, so let's talk again. But it takes a while because they know how people come in, sadly. People come into the jail, hellfire and brimstone. You're going to hell if you don't change. I'm going to scare you out of hell. And then it's just, it's a jail Jesus to them. But I've seen so many lives change and they come out of the jails and they get into Celebrate Recovery and then they get into church and they're like, I want to go back into the jail. I want to speak to that situation. Because they've been there, done that, they will have more respect when they go in. 
I've never served time. When I go in there like, yeah, whatever, soccer mom, get out of here. Until I bring the little like Gatorades and little Debbie cakes, then they're my best friend. But before that, they're like, I ain't got no time for you, go on. But when I bring somebody in with me, and they start going at me, and she's standing there and she says, oh yeah? I did 728 days on that cot where you're at. Then their mouth drops. Then we can get real. We can remove the church face and get real with each other. This is what Saul, Paul, was doing. So recap, Paul was the persecutor of the way, known as the church. View the church or the body of Christ as an abomination. Paul received authority to arrest, beat, and execute Christians. But on the road to Damascus, Paul's traveling to arrest Christians, and he has a visionary encounter with the exalted Jesus. This vision led Paul to embrace the way. This played a significant role in the change of his life. So if you're looking at Acts chapter 9, it describes it in there, but it says, One day on the road to Damascus, Saul came face to face with the God he had been fighting. How many times we fight God? I fight him all the time. I'm like, I know how this needs to go if you'll just line up with me. Never happens. And then it says, A light blinded him, and a voice of Jesus said, Why are you persecuting me? This encounter with Jesus changed his heart of stone. He wasn't converted. To be converted means your God changes. He literally had a come to Jesus moment. Now the God he knew by law and by Torah was on an intimate face-to-face -face reaction with him. Could you imagine if the voice of Jesus spoke to you and you knew in your heart that's what it was? Could you imagine what your reaction would be? I'll be honest, I think I'll have a bladder check. I mean, I'd be like, excuse me, I gotta go. Oh, please. His calling changed. It wasn't a conversion, it was a calling change. Paul became known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Apostle means one who is sent and implies the one that is sent with the authority of Jesus. Paul's primary goal was to reach as many Jews and Gentiles outside of the small cluster as possible. His goal was to reach those outside of the church. That's the goal of Celebrate Recovery. I say all this because no matter what you've done in your life, God will take that and use it to speak to somebody else's situation. There's a story that I read in one of my devotional books and it's talking about this guy that had been in the military for so long. He, um, career Navy guy, never married, never had children, nothing, lived on a ship. Finally had to retire. They like forced him into retire after re-enlisting. Like, no, we're done with you. Go away. So he finds himself out. He don't know what to do. He doesn't have a car. He's never bought a car, never bought a house. He has nothing. So he finds himself buying a house and buying a car. And to tell you how old this story is, he goes and gets a newspaper to look in the classifieds to find a job. And he looks down and says, oh, shipping yard manager. I could do that. I know ships. It's an open call. So he shows up, walks in, room's full of people. There's one empty chair. He walks across the floor and he sits down in the empty chair. And he's sitting there looking. 
And he's listening, and he's looking, and there's horns going off. And so he gets up, walks across the floor, walks into a door. A few minutes later, he walks out, leaves the room. A few minutes after that, a man comes to the door and says, Job's been filled. They all erupt. You haven't even interviewed us. What are you talking about? And they're just going crazy. He said, you sat here. I watched you on that monitor. You sat here for three and a half hours. Overhead was SOS. And he said, if you understand this, get up, walk across the floor, go into the manager's door. You're hired. God takes our past to qualify our future and our calling. I firmly believe that. So whatever area the enemy is fighting you in is the enemy that you're going to blossom and grow in and God's going to use to reach multitudes. When they told me, if, if they had told me so many years ago, 20 years ago, that I'd been sitting up here, I'd be like, you're drunk. Not this one. I stay in the back. I can't speak in front of people. Are you kidding me? I don't have anything to say. Literally, I would start stumbling over my words and, and just, I couldn't get anything out. And I joke and I say that God gives us spiritual gifts. And my spiritual gift is I can have a whole conversation with a tree as long as it don't walk off. But that has to be a God thing. But he took my past of abuse and he took me into the jails. And I saw women young enough to be my daughters, old enough to be my grandmothers. And the day I walked in and saw a young girl sitting there with a fresh handprint bruise still on her face and a hand around her neck, and she couldn't even look up, I knew why God put me there. I needed to be a survivor because I needed to be a voice for the voiceless. I'll be the first one to sit and talk with anybody. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to speak truth and love because I know God's got a plan for you. And I know that you are created to speak life into somebody. It's not my job to speak life into the person that you were created to speak life into. Saul became Paul. It wasn't a conversion. It was a changing of his calling. There are people sitting right here listening to this that are meant to speak to someone else. And that someone else is literally in the pit of hell. You don't know what kind of abuse they're going through. You don't know what their children are going through. You don't know, and we don't have to know. My question is, how long are you going to run from God, and how long are you going to leave them in that pit of hell? Because there was somebody who spoke life into me, and they spoke life into me right when I was ready to give up and check out. How long are you going to leave them in their pit of hell? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, the enemy tries to throw so much at us, and you know it and you see it, but right now, God, I pray for your strength, your empowerment over each of our lives so that we can not be distracted by the enemy. Help us to keep our focus on you. Help to soften our hearts. Help us to answer the call on our lives. God, you created us to be in unity, to be in Christ, to be together to be one family, your children, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. God, I pray that we start living that way now and start living in full unity now so that when we do see you face to face, 
we will all surround you and know each other and embrace each other because the road is hard but we can do this together because we're two or more gathered you are there and you will carry us through you never leave us and you never send us where you haven't already been God, right now, I ask if there's anybody that has not received you as their Lord and Savior, they'll come to the altar and give their heart. Lord, any burden that we just can't get rid of, I pray that you lift that burden. The Holy Spirit, carry it. And as the enemy tries to speak lies, God, turn our ears silent so we can't hear it. God, we ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen Son, Christ. Amen. The altars are open, guys.